0: Turn with me to John chapter 6. We have a finishing section of text today where we'll finish up John 6. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. John chapter 6. Let's pick it up with where we left off. Uh, Just briefly, uh, the previous passage we looked at, not last Sunday, because I did a special mid-year message, but the Sunday before, and uh, that as you recall was Jesus uh, explaining that uh, to follow him they were going to have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, uh, which they did not like that analogy at all. They didn't even see it as an analogy, we'll get into this uh, in just a minute. But let's pick it up with where we left off because he said these things back in verse 59 in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, but pick it up in verse 60 And we'll read through the end of the chapter. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, again heard what Jesus said about drinking his uh, blood and eating his flesh, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that the disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Nothing. The words that I speak to your spirit and they are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. You know what Jesus already had said, that the Father has to draw each person unto him. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. Isn't that great? Johnson Willis doesn't have that. Fidelity doesn't have that. Right? Amazon for sure doesn't have that. Sorry, Marty. <laughs> As an Amazon employee I was speaking to. But I'm not, I mean, it's not, nobody has the words of eternal life except Jesus. Let's understand this. That's what Peter said. Also, we have come to know, or come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Buddha's not a living God. Muhammad's not a living God. Allah's not a living God. Confucius is not a living God. They're concepts. They're not living, they're not the living God. Verse 70. Jesus answered them and said, Do I, Did I not choose you the twelve? And one of you is a devil. Imagine having Jesus say that. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Let's pray again. Father, we ask for the help of your Spirit, the anointing of your Spirit, the work of your Spirit, the softening of your Spirit, Lord, uh, the outpouring of your Spirit, Lord. I pray that you would speak to each heart. Those that are watching online, uh, Lord, that you would speak uh, to them, those that are out in the courtyard, those that are in the fellowship hall, Lord, each part of this room, Lord, you would speak to every heart. Prepare each person to meet with you. Uh, Lord, I'm just trying my best to share what you have put in your word. I pray that you'd remove me from the equation that we would all hear from you. And Lord, we'd have soft hearts, ears that are hearing, hearts that are listening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We left off with Jesus proclaiming twice that glorious statement, one of the seven I am statements in the uh, Gospel of John, where Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of life. And that's where this whole metaphor, this um, picture will start to develop of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. But it started when he said, I am the bread of life. He also said he was the bread come down from heaven. And just as manna was sent down from heaven, manna did not grow in wheat fields or in barley fields. God sent it. There was no way that anything could grow in the desert, the manna would just appear, God would send it down from heaven, and there it would be. And just as and it would save the people from starvation, there in the wilderness back in the time of Moses. And just as um, in the same way, Jesus was sent down from heaven as well, to the wilderness of this world. To the wilderness of this world, and he was sent down as the perfect and everlasting bread to save us from not the wilderness of a desert, but from eternal death due to sin. No matter where we're at in this world, no matter what part of the geography we're from, Jesus has come to be the bread of life to people on every continent. You'll recall that glorious revelation from Jesus that he was the bread of life, it was not met with a rush of surrender. It wasn't like everyone heard that say, This is what we've been waiting for, and everyone decided to get saved. Didn't happen. Rarely happens that way. No, it was met with skepticism. It was met with complaining. It was met with doubts. It was met with a request for, give us more signs. More evidence that Jesus was truly the Son of God. And not just the son of Mary and Joseph. Yeah, we know Mary and Joseph with his parents. and, And by the way, Mary was there... They could have asked her. But, by the way, if they asked Mary and she said yes, he sent from God, would they even have believed that? In spite of the fact, this crowd that was there, they had seen Jesus miraculously feed feed thousands of them, heal many of them. Think about this. Think about if Jesus fully healed you in this room. I would bet in this room there are a lot of people that have not one, not two, not even three, but even four things they would like Jesus to heal them from right now. See, I got five medications. What are you talking about? You know, I've got you know that but in this room, there's a lot of people. And if imagine if Jesus fully healed you, and you get to pick up the phone and call your doctor, tomorrow and say, "I won't be seeing you for a while." Well, why? Jesus healed me from everything. Done gone i just threw all the medication in the trash can i threw the cane in the trash can all of it gone oh and i have a leg that i didn't have before (laughs) people like that just the kind of stuff jesus did seeing all that and yet they're like we still need more we still need more signs and by the way lest you or they and they might have thought to themselves well moses did miracles elijah did miracles elisha did miracles other prophets performed miracles, but none of them were the Son of God. People there probably thought that. True, but none of them claimed to be the Son of God. Did you know that? Moses never claimed it. Elisha never claimed it. Daniel never claimed it. Jesus did claim it, but he also backed it up, right? The dove came down. I mean, there are so many things. And by the way, Jesus never once contradicted the prophets. The prophets never contradicted the law. He fulfilled the law. Every jot, every tittle the Bible says. Every little detail. And none of the prophets were born of a virgin. Here's another thing they could ask Mary. Right? Mary, were you a virgin when Jesus? Yes. We don't believe you. Right? That's probably how it would have gone. Their minds were made up. And at that point, Jesus responded to their hard-heartedness by taking The metaphor of him being the bread of life to another level. And that's when he started talking about, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's like, you're already not believing. I'm going to offend you a little bit more. You would not have, all, all of you would not have always enjoyed Jesus' preaching. He will step on some toes. Did you know that? He really would. And he takes to another level. And just like the Israelites had to, eat the manna to live, those within the hearing would have to eat his flesh and drink his blood to come into eternal life. That's what he was saying to them. And this was repulsive to them. You don't want to eat your flesh. Yet as noted previously, Jesus we, we noted that Jesus, he did not walk around as a loaf of bread. He clearly was given a metaphor. He was not walking around as a French baguette. The understanding of his unheard of description was the parallel to the manna. Manna came down, I came down. It was the parallel to the manna. But like when you eat something, you completely ingest it. After this service, after the baptism, many of you will go to lunch somewhere. Some of you will go home, find leftovers in the fridge. But whatever it is you're going to do, many of you will go eat something and you're not gonna kind of eat it, you're either gonna eat it or you're not gonna eat it. In other words, you start biting it, you swallow it, right? It's like being kind of pregnant, right? You're not kind of pregnant, you don't kind of eat, you either eat or you don't eat. You might eat a small amount, but you still fully ingest it. And the point is, Jesus has to be totally accepted, totally brought into the heart, right? Well, I kind of believe in Jesus. I've actually had people tell me this. I do kind of believe in Jesus. You don't kind of believe in Jesus. Did you kind of eat the Pop-Tart or not? (laughs) Right? I don't know where that came from because I haven't (laughs) had one in ages. You're all going to go buy them now. (laughs) But um, it's complete acceptance. And all of this has brought everyone there to... Uh, a crossroads and it still brings people to a crossroads either believe in Jesus or back away from Jesus believe in Jesus or back away from him and he's not going to beg them and he doesn't beg us to stay and believe in him he invites you to believe in him but he will not beg you to believe in him but he will make one final uh, he'll make clear one final time why they should believe in him and why you and i should believe in him if you're taking notes you see the title this morning uh everything in jesus and indeed everything is in jesus everything that peter needed everything that john needed everything that you and i need is in jesus peter and the ten of the disciples they've come to the conclusion and they're even more convinced not just uh, they were already there and they're even more convinced you ever you ever become you're already convinced of something and then you're even more convinced they're even more convinced that Jesus is everything they need. I hope and pray we see many more people, speaking to you online as well, that many more people come to the place they're even more convinced that Jesus is everything they need. And when you see people passing away, it should let you know he's the only one that holds the keys. He said in Revelation, I hold the keys to life and death. The beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. Nobody's even close to that. Taking notes, first thing we want to look at this morning, words of weight and truth from Jesus. Now, it's true, everything Jesus says has weight, but, uh, but there's some heavy things that, uh, that he kind of um, addresses here, and the way he says them, uh, they carry a lot of weight. We understand that, uh, t- let's go back at verse sixty, verse, uh sixteen, sixty-one. here. I'm not actually looking at these as straight, um, these verses, and these, I'm actually going to hopscotch around a little bit Because it's kind of an interactive, Jesus is kind of going back and forth with what he's talked about previously, who he's talking to, turning to his disciples, back to the unbelievers. And so uh, we're kind of looking at it in three sections, but it'll kind of uh, skip around a little bit. Verse uh, 60 and 61, therefore uh, many of his disciples when they heard this, again, the whole eat his flesh, drink his blood, uh, said this is a hard saying, who can understand it? when Jesus knew in himself that they complained about this he said to them does this offend you? Well he knew it did offend them he's trying to get them to admit they're offended because you can't even change unless you admit things. You have to admit I'm offended and then God says why? God says I should be offended that you're not believing but we have to admit where we're really at then look at verse 66 down to 66, from that time, again Jesus kind of uh, is going to implore one more time, but even with that, from that, many, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They said, we're out. The things you say are too hard for us to understand. Uh, we'll find a rabbi that matches our lifestyle. That's what a lot of people do. We're going to find a church or a pastor or this or that, kind of match my perfect, and if, as long as it fits my box, that I'm good. So they said, we're out. Verse 66. Jesus, the hardest statements he says in verse 70 and 71, he says, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? How about that? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now we understand, um, kind of take all those verses in your mind for a second, we understand that what Jesus said about his body and blood is either explained In the metaphor or it's literal. In other words, he really was asking them to eat his arm. You don't think that and we know that the text proves that that's not the case. But at any rate, the equivalence is still a weighty picture. To go completely in with Jesus is still an all-or-nothing proposition, is it not? Total trust. And in our easily, uh, but again, the analogy, him using blood and him using the flesh, imagine in our easily offended society, and we are so easily offended now. I mean, good night, social media has made us the most soft, easily offended group of people (laughs) in the history of humanity. But in our easily offended society, many would be offended, oh, that he used body and blood in his analogy as a metaphor. Ironically, It's interesting to me that many of the same people that would be offended by this are the same individuals. They're not offended by the filth of TV. They're not offended by what they watch in movies. They're not offended by what they listen to in music. They're not offended by their own jokes, but they're offended that Jesus would use such a heavy illustration of eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then they expose their kids to all kinds of other stuff. And Jesus, He's used language though, His body and His blood That should awaken us, should awaken our senses of the fact that trusting in him is not only an all-or-nothing proposition, it's a life-and-death decision. Amen? Trusting in Jesus is a life-and-death decision. Because what? The scripture tells life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. And this also foreshadows as well that with the purchase of our salvation, what's going to be required? for the purchase of our salvation. Jesus is hitting a lot of bullseyes with one arrow here, isn't he, right? A lot of bullseyes are getting hit with one arrow. It's going to require no less than his body to be pierced. We have this cross up here that is empty. The tomb is empty. That's because he did all the suffering already. Amen? I know he wasn't on this cross. I'm just simply saying. (laughs) But that his body would have to be pierced and broken and his blood shed. And so he's foreshadowing that as well. Our sin is a deathly heavy weight that requires a perfect sacrifice. All the the lambs of the world, all the blood of bulls and goats in the book of Hebrews say couldn't satisfy the requirement. It had to be a sinless, perfect lamb of God sacrifice, which is exactly what John the Baptist said. Behold what? The lamb of God. And it requires us Not only do we have to have the perfect sacrifice and the perfect savior, which Jesus is, but it requires us to know the truth about our condition, that we're wretched and we need him, and know the truth about his provision, that it's all taken care of in the cross and in the empty tomb, which Jesus has proclaimed that he is the only way. He's already said, I am the bread of life. He didn't say, you know, you have multiple bread options, you got the wheat option, you got the barley option, you got you know, the, uh, the the whole grain option, you know, whatever one you want to choose, and then you have me take your pick. And that's the way people look at religions, right? Well, I just kind of choose which one I like. Remember that Jesus, he often spoke to people in parables. Why? He said, due to the hardness of hearts. He spoke to people in parables often, but he had spoken here although he used a metaphor about the body and blood, he had already spoken very clearly, not in parable form. Let me give you three examples of three things he said that anyone, you could be two years, well, maybe not two years old, but unless your two-year-old's a gifted two-year-old. which well, everybody's kids are gifted now, too, by the way. But anyway, um, uh, but unless that's the case, most people would understand. Number one, he said he came from the Father. Cl- clear as a bell, that's not a parable. He was literally stating, in fact, I came from God the Father. We all agree that's not a parable. Number two, he said that each person must believe in him. That's not a parable. That's a straight up fact. You must believe in him. And number three, to believe in him is to receive everlasting, not not a thousand years, not a million years, not a billion years, everlasting, never-ending life. Isn't that great to know? It would be Kind of a bummer if heaven, you get a thousand years, then it's over, then off to hell you go or wherever else it is, I don't know. But no, it's everlasting. Now the gospel itself is good news, but it's good news if you understand the bad news first that you need a savior, that you need the blood and body of Jesus, that you need the bread of life. You have to know you need that. If you don't know you need that, you'll never come to it. Neither would I. We have to know our sin nature, and we have to know our souls what they are without Christ. And, and just as people were offended by his metaphor of body and blood, and they didn't like it, oh, that's too gross. And I've, 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 I've had people say that the, hearing about the cross, oh, it's just too much. Well, I didn't write the Bible. We have to present it because our sin is that much of a problem. It needed uh, the incredibly painful solution of the cross. But it just says people were offended by his metaphor. People today and for 2,000 years have often been offended to find out they're sinners and need a Savior. Ever have people bothered? Like, I'm a good person. I gave the United Way campaign last year. I I did charitable giving at my office. I mean, what are you talking about? I even mowed my neighbor's grass once. I'm a good person. But that Jesus doesn't tell us we're good. You notice that he's, he's pretty up front here, right? What, but Judas got a real dose. But this should not offend us, but it should awaken us. It shouldn't offend us. Awaken us. And turn us to the gift of eternal life. To unsettle us is actually a good thing. Amen? For God to unsettle us. If, we if we were never unsettled, we'd never come to the cross. To unsettle us is a good thing. To break our hearts is a good thing. It's the pathway to forgiveness for us to know, wow, we're a mess and we need the bread of life. We need Jesus. I love this passage in Hosea 6.1. It says, For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. Do you realize that God will put a lot of us on our back, on purpose, so we would look to him. And this doesn't happen just at the point of salvation. It happens again, can I get an amen on that? It happens again after salvation. He'll put you back on your back numerous times, and he's not like a parent that's just like, oh, I feel so bad, yes, all the rules are gone again. He doesn't do that. gods He is not moved by our decisions of, well, God, I would do it this way. No, no, he knows he has to break us down sometime that we'll see our need to say, Lord, we're crying out from the depths of our soul. And salvation needs that, but even post-salvation, it's needed. But, but, But here's the promise, he'll heal us and bind us up. Isn't that good news, right? He doesn't leave us in that place. You'll become stronger out of it. Know for certain that Jesus has never and never will tell us what we want to hear but what we need to hear what we need to hear and i'm i'm glad he tells me what i need to hear because uh, there's plenty of people in the world who tell us what i want what i need what i want to hear they're called politicians a lot of times right <laughs> they'll use flattery to gain something jesus never flattered people to gain anything he was not a politician he was the son of god and he never ever just said well i'll pander to an audience. No, Jesus is direct and he's purposeful of what he says and with the truth that he speaks is always right to the heart. The, the cliche that's popped up in recent years as an online retort, uh, you, some of you may have seen it um, It's uh, it, I see it often on Twitter comments now. I said what I said. You guys heard of that one right? I said what I said. I actually kind of like it. After a while you're like, alright, I, I can't go any further with this argument they ain't listening. I said what I said. And, and then, at least on your end, you're done. They can kind of do whatever they want. But, uh, but you're, on, you're done. But with Jesus it's always true. Jesus could always say, I said what I said. And that's the end of the discussion. But yet he still implores because he has compassion, right? He still uh, reaches towards even the people and he responds to them. They still have an opportunity. He says, does this offend you? Are you offended? And he expresses more truth that we'll look at in just a second. But he expresses that he knows that the core issue is that many simply do not believe in him. Just simply do not believe in him. Or so far they will not believe in him. I told the first service, I said, I know for a fact this pulpit is made of wood. It is not made of cotton candy. Why? Because I know what cotton candy is, and I know what wood is. And if you have heard deception and lies, and then you hear the truth, you will be able to know, I've heard Jesus and it is true, I believe what he said. But a lot of the other people there, they didn't believe what he said. They still would believe. in other rabbis, well the high priest said this and Jesus said, I don't care what you've heard, this is truth straight from God. I'm, I, you're, you're looking at him, Emmanuel, God with us. And you either believe that or you don't believe that. And many at this point, they back away and they walk away. So it says from that point, many said, We're out of here. Your your metaphor is uh, offensive. Uh, we don't want to be cannibals, which is not what he was asking. Uh, but again, people will find excuses to not follow Jesus, too. They'll say, Well, uh, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. Uh, give me a couple. Well, oh, I just know they're in there. You know, that.' but. Um, My professor at college told me two of them, and I forgot them now, but I know that they were legit. People look for the reasons, but they decide to walk away, and Jesus does not chase after them. He's presented them with all that they need. Uh, To those still here in this setting, those that were still there, uh, he tests their hearts. He says to the disciples themselves, do you also want to go away? How about us in this room? Are we influenced? by the crowds of the unbelieving around us. We have a a world that believes less and less of God. America as a country uh, believes less and less of God. That's proven not only in behavior, but even statistically, even even, uh, in surveys. Uh, We see that, we see that the changing culture. Uh, But are you drawn away because everyone else doesn't believe in Jesus? And then to Judas... He gets, how can you get more direct than saying one of you is a devil? That's about as direct as you're possibly ever going to see anything said. Scorching words for sure, but love warns people. I've had people tell me, point blank, say, you, so you think there's a literal hell, lake of fire? Yes. Just like I believe there's a literal heaven. Because Jesus said both exist. By the way, if God tells you you're a devil, first of all you want to really listen to what he's saying. Uh, If you're Judas, uh, you can either repent at that point and cry out to God or do nothing about it and stay in the same condition. We notice that Judas does not say, hey is that me? And if it is can you help me? Because Jesus would have helped him. Amen? Well certainly would. The imperative back in verse 65 where he says that um, in verse 65 some of you would not believe we understand that uh, the Father draws us actually it's verse 64 but in uh, verse 65 uh, we see um, Jesus knew from the beginning, where is it? Oh no, verse 65 yes Um, no one can come to me unless the Father has drawn him. So he parallels that no one can come to me unless the Father has drawn him but he also says in verse 64 that some of you have not Believed, and we understand we looked at this in previous weeks. I don't have time to get into it today, but we have that once again we have that intersection of the foreknowledge of God, the sovereignty of God, and the free will He's given to man. And if you're still struggling to rectify how all that works, join the club because there is free will, and there is the foreknowledge, and there is the sovereignty, and all of them exist on a plane that we can't understand. What we can understand is what we do understand. Should I believe in Jesus or am I going to walk away and not believe? I decided to walk closer to Jesus June in 1995 and fully believe, and I believe more now than I did in 1995. And for me personally, and you'll have to make the decision, it won't matter to me if 99.9999% of America decides there is no God, I'll still follow God. They don't influence my thinking at all. Matter of fact, the more, no, more and more, whatever they say, I think generally the opposite. The more I hear what they think about on any topic, I assume this is probably suspect, you know. um, (laughs) Because they come from a godless position of everything. And they are resisting, so they're of their own minds and it's the, the foolishness of man is what the Bible calls it. So, I mean, the apostles could have said, well the crowd doesn't believe, Perhaps we shouldn't believe. That's what teenagers do all the time. and I don't want you teens to do that. But a lot of times, well, if the crowd doesn't believe, then I shouldn't believe. No. The crowd has nothing to do with what's right or wrong. God decides that, right? The crowd didn't birth you into this world. God did. The fact that your genetic code, God created all that. So either we believe and the apostles, you know, they have an opportunity to just walk away or not. Let's take a look at Verse 62 and 65, uh, 62 through 65, words of life, insight from Jesus. Uh, So he continues on in verse 62, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend, like I said, we're going to skip around a little bit, so I apologize. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Actually, just verse 62 and 63. Um, Jesus continues here, so he says what if you should see the Son of Man ascend back up to where he was before? And of course some of them who were there the apostles would later see this. They would later see Jesus ascend back into the clouds and the angels would say, men of Galilee, why are you standing here? The same Jesus you have seen will come and appear again in like manner. So some of them would literally see what Jesus said here. He's not just, this isn't a metaphor he really is going to do this. He really is going to ascend up in the clouds, and praise God, he's coming back in the clouds. But some of them, were going to see him ascend up in the clouds. <clears throat> but a bunch of them, we're not going to see that. We can infer that those who didn't believe in Jesus, if they were have to have seen Jesus ascend up into heaven to God the Father, they would realize, we were wrong. He really is the Son of God. That would be quite a, st- a statement, right? If all of a sudden, I don't believe you're God. We don't believe you're God. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts going right up in the clouds. Bye. Right? But he's saying, not only will I do that, but if, you, if I did do that, you would see how wrong you are. I've been telling you the truth, and you still think I'm lying, and you think you are on the right side of this whole equation, and you're not. Much more people today, you know, they, can, they wouldn't believe Jesus in front of them And we have the same issue today. People will believe Facebook, but not Jesus. Unbelievable. They'll believe in their employer, who could be the next Enron. Maybe the current Enron right now, and the books just haven't been shown yet. We could have half the stock market that way, and not even know it. But not believe in their eternal Savior. People that believe in themselves even though they can't stop themselves from aging, they can't stop themselves from having heart disease, they can't stop themselves from cancer, but they still believe in themselves instead of believing in the ageless risen Savior. Um, Anyone that believes in that place, stays in that place believing in themselves or these other things uh, will see at some point how wrong they have been if they remain there some of the most prepared people i've ever met i mean the attention to detail i mean i've worked with some brilliant people i worked with people when i was in corporate i had colleagues who were ivy league grads stanford grads i mean just sharp hot much smarter people than me and all this stuff i mean highly intelligent people very prepared very detailed all these things ready for anything some of the most prepared people i've ever met have never prepared for their soul no preparation for the soul whatsoever. They're blinded by the vapor of this life, thinking that it's going to go on forever. And there's a psalm that has a passage, several passages in the psalms that talk about that. They're either unaware, just like the people here, or unconcerned or unconvinced of the words of life, given by the bread of life. So Jesus goes on, bidding yet again that that they would understand what hangs in the balance, what it is that's hanging in the balance. He says it's the spirit that gives life. It's the spirit that gives life, not religion. Religion cannot give life. Hinduism, Islam, Catholicism—all the, they can't. Religions can't give life. And by the way, Baptist or you know Pente- Pentecostal, even denominations can't give life. Not good works. Wealth can't give lo- good life. I mean, I mean good night, if that was the true, um, John D. Rockefeller would still be alive, right? Wealth can't give life. Health can't give it because health fails. Career can't give it. A perfect retirement can't give it. Selling everything you have, like HGTV TV's constantly tempting everyone and moving to the Caribbean, can't do it either. Mexico life and Caribbean life can't do it. At birth, our spirit, which is born in the death of sin, is precisely why Jesus said three chapters back, John chapter 3, Nicodemus, Knight, Nick at night, remember that? You must be born again. I told this to a member of the Sanhedrin, religious man. You've got to be reborn because your spirit needs a whole new rebirth. It's the spirit that gives life to our dead spirit. Amen? The spirit gives life. Because we're destined for hell at birth, because we're sinners, and we need to be rebirthed unless we're made new by the Holy Spirit, and that only comes through Jesus. Only comes through Jesus. And this was explained and promised here by Jesus, but it was finalized at the cross. Uh, Peter, who is speaking here, and here's Peter later in life, uh, but Peter's going to say something in just a second. We'll look up, but. Peter would later write, for Christ also suffered once for sins, again this is that body and blood being shed for us, suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. We were born deserving death, Jesus said I'm going to take death off your plate and give you life. That he might bring us to God, he's the only way to the Father. Jesus already explained all these things. Being put to death in the flesh, again is piercing but made alive in the Spirit. In other words, we're, um, he puts to death He was put to death in the flesh, but he also puts to death our flesh and we're made alive by the Spirit of God. The Spirit makes us alive. By the way, the one exception, I try and every time we have a chance to kind of understand connected doctrinal pieces, the one exception to needing the new birth in Jesus, good news for those of you that have ever had a miscarriage or things like that, uh, but the one exception to the new birth needed is the those that die before the age of accountability, uh, such as infants, children uh, that are that are small. We don't know the exact age of accountability. I think it's different for each person. But people with men- certain mental disabilities, I believe, uh, also would fall into this category. And so, uh, which is great because all these abortions, those babies, I believe, go straight to heaven. How about you guys? I believe they go straight from the abortion clinic right to Jesus. And how do I know? Well, the Scripture makes it clear in 2 Samuel 12, 23, David lost his infant son, and David said, can I bring him back again? Of course, we can't bring anybody back from the dead. God can. But he said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. In other words, David said, because he was a little infant and couldn't decide yes or no to God, I can go to him. He's already in the presence of God. And that's just that grace of god that's uh, greater than we can understand but for those of us here on earth and billions of us that would uh, fall into this category we can hear and comprehend jesus's counsel we can hear and comprehend his gospel and we have to respond to it right and we need to understand that our flesh profits nothing he said the flesh profits nothing uh well it's actually worse than that Our pres- our flesh not only accomplishes nothing and is of no value it actually is really corrupt. Very corrupt. So Paul said in Romans seven eighteen, I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells for to will is present with me but to how to perform what is good I do not find. It's good to remember that even your righteousness is filthy rags. Even your righteousness. So you need the Spirit of God Flowing in your life because really I hate to break it to all of us. We don't bring anything to the table Nada zilch Well, but I'm I'm really gifted. No stop In your flesh nothing good Dwells but let god dwell richly through you and then something good can come through you and I We're just a shell that god wants to fill uh, that's the way it works. And, and, the, and that shouldn't offend you after a while. You're like, thank you, Lord, instead. And just say, Lord, I just want to be a, a conduit. This is why we need the words of Jesus to, to convict our soul, the salvation of Jesus to save our soul, and the Spirit of God to live in our soul. Uh, I've already been saved, but now the Holy Spirit is living or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing this morning. It's, it's it has, The Spirit of God has to live through our life. And you wouldn't have been worshiping earlier and your hand, hands raised and you wouldn't be happy that people are getting baptized. The Spirit of God has to be living in our soul. His very Word, is Spirit and life. And if we believe that here's the great news. If we really believe that nothing can move us from Jesus no matter what the world does, no matter what Fox News says, MNBC says CNN says, AP News says, Time says, Newsweek says Biden says, Trump says, it doesn't. None of that stuff will move you. Amen. You will understand that Jesus is true, and everything else is flawed deeply. Now, not only will that not, not only will we not be moved from Jesus. The apostle said, "No, we're staying with you. Jesus will never leave or forsake us." That's the best part, right? Last thing we look at, we. We can relate to Peter because Peter was just a human being just like the rest of us. And he had to wrestle with everything and come to the conclusion. And Peter says, and Jesus says, do you want to leave me also? Do you also want to go away? Verse 67, but Simon Peter answered Lord, to whom shall we go? Are we going to go to Pilate? Are we going to go to Caesar? Are we going to go to another rabbi? He says, you have the words of eternal life. No one else has the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter concludes, and he seems to speak for the whole believing group, which would include the ten other apostles, minus, you would have eleven other, but Judas is not in a good place here and never gets to a good place. To the point where Judas will end up being possessed by Satan for a period of time. Literally possessed by Satan, not a low-level demon. Satan himself will inhabit Judas later. But Peter, speaking for the other ten and maybe some other disciples, we don't know how many other disciples decided to stay in addition to those eleven. But he seems to be speaking for the whole group. Uh, as others are turning away from Jesus and backing off, as far as he and these other disciples were, were concerned, they were fully convinced that Jesus had both the words to life and was the way, the only way to eternal life. There wasn't another way to eternal life. It wasn't to be a really good Jew. They were convinced it was faith in Jesus Christ. That He was the Christ. They were convinced He was the Christ, the Anointed One uh, sent from God, the Son of God. The only way, that He was the only way to God the Father. That He was the only hope of eternal life. I'm not putting any of my hope in eternal life in anything good I did over the last 20 some years. It's Jesus saved me because I believed on His name. I will do some good things, thankfully, by his grace, but those good things do not save me. They're because I'm saved. Does that make sense? You'll do good things because you're saved, not to get saved. And so he knows that Jesus is, you're the only one that has the words of eternal life. You're the only one. Peter had come to the place that he had no interest in trading a temporary life for an eternal life. Would any of you want to say, you know what? I've done this for a while. I want the temporary, I want to give up eternity. I just want to have the Vegas weekend a few times. <laughs> because everything stays in Sin City, right? Everything stays there, right? It just stays there. No, it stays in your soul. It doesn't stay in Vegas. No. Peter's like, I'm not trading the temporary anymore. John writes that Peter and the Apostles, they knew and believed. Those are strong. <laughs> knew and believed. I know I'm married to my wife. I don't care what you tell me. Well, you cannot unconvince me of something I know. They knew and believed. They may have doubted themselves at times, and you and I may doubt ourselves at times. We all do. But they didn't doubt that Jesus was the way. Amen? They didn't doubt that Jesus was the way. They believed, like A.W. Tozer said, Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. The only way. When we have a deep soul level confidence, other people's unbelief will not faze you at all. You'll pray for them, but their unbelief doesn't say, wow, you've given me I, I have, had, I have a, one atheist friend that I used to work with when I was in uh, big tech, and we still get together from time to time, and I've been trying to win him to Christ for a long time, and he's trying to explain to me the logic of his atheism for so long. He does not move me like a centimeter, there's no measurement that he does not move me at all. I just constantly pray for him. Doesn't move me an inch. Other people's unbelief, they walk away their pleasures, their riches, even the tough times that we have to endure and some of you have lost loved ones this year and you're dealing with pain and all that, but even that won't draw you away from Christ, it'll draw you closer to christ if you really believe and you know and believe you'll draw nearer to the lord none of these things will cause us to bail on, on jesus and praise god he'll never bail on us amen ever hebrews thirteen five, for he himself has said i will never leave you or forsake you amen and let's not forsake him church these last days these remaining days if the crowds walk away draw near to Jesus. Amen? They walk away, pray for them and draw nearer. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again that your word is settled in heaven. And Lord, it's so true that we can anchor our life to it and know that when this life ends, we just step out of this life right into eternity because you have the words to eternal life. And Lord, just in a minute, we'll be, a couple of minutes, we'll be baptizing but Lord, before we do that, if there's Anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray you would speak to any hearts that today would be the day that they trust in you, that the Spirit would give them life. Your words are life. Your Spirit gives life. Before we, I'm going to have to leave this pulpit and go change and get ready to uh, baptize some folks, but before we do if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and you want to do that today I don't have a lot of time, but if you want to do it, raise your hand. I want to pray with you if there's anyone at all i don't want to assume that everyone here is a believer there's been times where i've had i've been surprised anyone at all just raise your hand if there's anyone at all i want to pray with you god wants to draw you to himself and there's nothing i'll ever say or do that will get a person convinced anyone at all uh, if I'll assume everyone here is a believer, and if that's not the case, you can talk to us after this service and we would stay as long as needed to. D.L. Moody saw more people saved in the inquiry rooms after the service than he ever saw in the service. We can whittle through the things, but if you're grateful for your salvation, tell the Lord. And we're going to baptize people. I know you don't need to be re baptized if you've been baptized, but in your spirit say lord refresh me in just a minute and we're going to sing you can go ahead and stand and worship and i'm going to go get changed and we're going to get ready to baptize these folks but just um get your hearts ready to rejoice with them uh, for those that are taking this step in this newness of life lord we thank you for this time we as we transition to these baptisms we pray that you'd bless it in jesus name amen i got to get changed and you guys can worship and we'll bet. and then anyone else that needs to get changed please do so